On this episode, Go Small and Go Home, I interview Pastor Parker Green of Salt Churches. Yes, I said churches. Pastor Green oversees a network of micro churches. He doesn't just talk about it. He doesn't just plan for it. He doesn't go to conferences to learn how to do it. He is overseeing a network currently of micro churches. You don't want to miss this one. Are you ready? Welcome to the Church 2060 Podcast, where we talk about all things church, where we've been, what we've learned, and where we're going. I'm Mike Brewer. to the Church 2060 podcast. I'm Mike Brewer. Uh, I am on, in the middle of a series right now on the post-2020 Neo Church, and a lot of people don't like that word Neo, but it generally just means new or revived. And today, I want to talk about going small and going home. And I have a guest with me today. Uh, his name is Parker Green. Parker, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. It's a beautiful day in Southern California. Yeah, <laughs> not so much here in Cincinnati. It is rainy and bleak. But Parker is a speaker, trainer, and founder of Salt Churches, and I wanted to talk to Parker today about what he is up to out in California, planting and running micro churches. So before we get too deep into it, Parker, maybe you could just give us an idea of a little bit of your story, how you came to faith, and how you got sure. into micro churches. Um, I was basically raised in a Christian home um, with uh, somewhat of a commitment to church, um, uh, really uh, pretty normal story of going my own direction and then getting resaved when I was about 17, 18, <laughs> deciding to really begin to follow Jesus. Um, actually was trained um, as a youth intern at Hillsong College um, in Sydney, Australia, and uh, came back to Southern California, did youth work here, and then uh, for four years was in New York City as a campus pastor, and that's where I met my wife, Jessie. We were uh, overseeing a couple of campuses in Manhattan, living in Manhattan, been there for a while, um, almost 10 years um, in Manhattan, but um, we had our firstborn child there. And then uh, after a 21-day fast at the beginning of 2016 and a trip the year before out to Southern California, God just wouldn't leave me alone about it. And um, she'd gone on a trip for a couple of weeks in that time period. And came back and asked me right when she walked in the door, is like, is God talking to you about California? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah we're probably going to have to move now. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's, uh, we, we had worked in, um, I mean, as urbanites, I guess, in the United States, um, in New York, and working in a post-Christian culture, and really saw the need to truly make uh, disciples, biblical disciples, so... So is that that need for discipleship what led you to go down the road of planting micro churches? I would say absolutely, yeah. Um, in, in the legacy model, I wasn't really seeing um, that turnover of people really having a transformative walk with Jesus and following Him and and seeing their life um, radically shift, like I see, you know, in the Book of Acts or even in Paul writing to the churches or. Um, what Jesus asks of us um, in his most basic um, teaching and sermons and, you know, example. So 
um, I really wanted to find a way and find the best way to teach people how to be like Jesus. And, you know, stumbling through Acts, you tend to see that churches are named after households and cities. Um, very few brands um, <laughs> and not very many um, um, highlighted, um, I would say highlighted teachers or speakers, but more um, individuals who were consistently reaching lost people and making more disciples biblically. So yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. I got into Dallas Willard a lot. Um, got into Francis Chan at the time a lot. It was a big encouragement to us when he first uh, came out to California and was talking about the church. Uh, but yeah, so to give you a, a very quick background, there was a, a you know, decade long process, I think that plopped me out <laughs> into wanting to start um, uh, micro churches, which from my training seemed insane. So yeah, that, that tends to be the, the response, like why, you know, someone finds out that's the direction you're wanting to go. And they say, why? What, what, what is it about microchurches that you think is going to be different than what we're doing here? And uh, until you see it, until you see the glaring, glaring obvious pieces like discipleship not happening or uh, yeah. small groups and Sunday morning services really falling short and the focus being on big decisions about buildings or, hey, we want to plan a new church, but... Uh, first, we have to buy this building for $2 million, and we have to put a few more million into it to renovate it, and then we're going to open it up and see how many people we can build yeah. up. Yeah, yeah the, the discipleship funnel kind of gets flipped on its head when you plant a legacy church because you people in a room and then put them in a discipleship funnel, whereas a micro church is, is started with disciples and continued with and multiplied with disciples, um, and that's the focus. Um, so all your energy resources, your finances, um, your people resources are aimed at something, um, I think, radically different than what we see now. And I think um, hopefully the church in the United States uh, reacts to the shock they've just received. Um, I think it'll, I think it'll be half, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like this, uh, I mean, the, the Western church has been in decline for decades, literally decades. And then when COVID arrived, we found that decline just got compounded and, and exacerbated. And then, then we look around and say, what do we do now? And the truth is what we should be doing now is what we should have been doing 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's not, any, it's not, a, it's not a different situation. Um, we just lost the art of making disciples. We've lost the, the yeah. desire for the, the, the idea of church planting has become about butts and seats, not people becoming more like Jesus. Yeah, and I think you see, I think you see the, that the rot has been taking place for a while um, and you to be blunt, have people leading churches that in this period have been absolute cowards in what, you know, in gathering together in submitting to government before submitting to Christ in um, their mission and continuing to make disciples. You see um, that the structure itself fights against a biblical model of, of church in a lot of ways, because you have to fight to keep, you know, once you, once you birth that beast, you kind of got to keep feeding it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I would just, I would ask what, what do you say uh, is the issue when you find, when you see churches that realized, Hey, we can get back together now. Our denomination said we can go back to church and meet where as long as we're wearing a mask. Um, but in the meantime, from, from shutdown to them being allowed to go back together, they kind of refused to do anything else. They just wanted to go back to church. Right. Uh, yeah. What do you say to someone like that who's leading a church in that kind of situation? Well, I would first ask, like, what do you, what did you get into ministry for? Um, what were you called to do? Um, and what did Christ call you to do? Um, and I, I would argue that it's likely not to be a glorified event planner. So 
I think a lot of times people just get in the rhythm of things and it works and it starts paying their bills. So there's a whole structure built around it. Um, and it's hard to pull away when you're looking at your kids, you're looking at your family and they're, they're being fed and taken care of with a roof over their head of the structure that's been built. But it's much easier for me, I would say, to make a biblical stand on how we do church than, than what you see on a typical Sunday. And, and I, would, I would ask anyone to have an honest evaluation of what fruit they're actually producing know your church by its fruit, what's actually taking place. Are you seeing what you see in the Bible? Um, or are you seeing um, or aim, aiming for uh, a model of success that maybe um, Christ himself or Paul the Apostle wouldn't necessarily condone? Yeah, if you were, let's say you were, you were one of those pastors and you had to ask I've yourself, let's say that again, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said I have been. Yeah. <laughs> well, what would be your first move in a situation like this? I mean, how would you try to steer that ship? into a different direction. And I, I think I would use my platform and I would use my pulpit to begin to preach about the church from Ephesians 4 and Acts 2, 2 through 47 and start to cast vision to my, the body of believers as to what it looks like. What I, don't, what I think a lot of people don't realize and maybe a lot of ministers don't realize is how much freedom this model will actually give them um, because you're actually equipping the saints for the work of the ministry in an Ephesians 4 model, which is basically the constitution of the church. So if you look at Ephesians 4 as a model for a maturing church, um, are, your, are your soldiers being equipped? Do you, have, do you have soldiers or do you have attendees or trough feeders? Um, and ask yourself that question and, and really, um, how do you activate your church and to transform into these little families, these communities of believers, these 20 to 50 people in a house that know each other, live, to, live together, live in the same space, eat together, share, share reading necessary stories and share the life story of the way, which is capital W. Is it, is it the way that you're teaching or is it Christianity you're teaching? So I think it's a first, you have to search your heart and see if they really want to do. And then, then I think you can use your pulpit to take people there. Wow. That's wonderful. I think there's uh, I think there's a, a, a movement swelling up that started long before I noticed it, obviously, as, you, as I talked to someone who's, who's already uh, working through the process of microchurches. But I think the, the days, there's, there's a lot of people that are tired of just showing up at church, sure. facing the front, seeing a few songs, hearing a message and going home. I think that, I think that time is up. Um, so let, let's kind of shift gears here a little bit. Let me sure. ask, when you got started down this road, how did it look to try to start, to physically start meeting at homes and having a house church? Was it as challenging <laughs> as it sounds? Sure. I mean, it was garbage. Like I hated it. <laughs> there were nights where like literally two people came. It was me and my wife, even my wife was out of town and like a couple of people. And I'm used to like counting people and getting them in the door and making sure the numbers are right. And, um, you know, making sure there's an income coming in and, you know, that's not really a job. That's, um, I just didn't, I disliked it. And I was wondering why, why God had called me to do it. Um, I enjoy preaching, and I think the preaching of the gospel is still important. We see that, that consistently in Acts and the larger gatherings in the temple um, when possible. But I think, um, and probably from Solomon's portico, I think that's where uh, Peter preached that first message on repentance. But I, I, for me, uh, it was just the first, it's been four years, and honestly, year three is when we really see it work. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> so, so, and that's, Westerner, that's a long time. Um, and for a millennial, that's even longer. Um, so, so for, for me, and I'm an, I guess an elder millennial, I'm like 34 at this. 
I want away and we could get a crowd together. You know what I mean? Um, but could we get disciples making disciples make disciples? I think it's in some ways, if you're a particular type of personality, it's actually easier to do the getting and then leave people to their own devices. But in year three, I knew it started working when people started paying each other's rent, when churches were multiplying and, and, and people were multiplying their discipleship groups down to the fourth generation. Um, when we see, see real life transformation, you know, when we start to, to see people drop drugs, to see people drop pornography, we start to see, you know, marriages that were in infidelity completely rescued by the body of believers and then wow. being able to not just go to a counselor, but but have a group of people that they're walking the whole thing out with and they can come to church and say, we blew it, everyone in that circle. It's not, you know, you can't do that in a regular church for the most part. There's not the time for it. Um, I think some people can invest enough and get to a place where they, everyone has a micro church that's actually committed to their church. They just don't know it. You know what I mean? Everyone has that 15 or 20 friends in their church. Right. Um, but we, we started to see real life transformation and disciples being made and people getting serious about doing what Jesus asks and obeying him. And that that's when I, I've started to feel like, Oh, okay, maybe this can actually work <laughs> in the long run. Maybe we're onto something here. Um, Cause so many people told me that we're missionaries all over the world that, Oh, it won't work in America. And I just have to like, thank you COVID for, for opening some eyes to what's needed. So. Yeah. Wow. That's a, uh, that's interesting. I, I because when when I look at the traditional model of planning churches, it's you know it just seems to be find a space, have church, and then once you've established that Sunday morning service, then start to think about multiplication in some fashion. Right, it's time to time to have a program for discipleship. But what I love about what you're saying is this is a chance to build everything from the ground up with discipleship, to where not only is community created, but you're you're discipling each other as the process continues. And then when things, big things do come up like infidelity or, or uh, divorce or any problems like that, yeah. people can work that, through that together. You don't see that on yeah. Sunday morning. You, you never will. Just, yeah, it's, it's the, mo- the model works against it. Yeah. And you, I mean, you just kind of have a place for people to implode because everyone's, everyone's lying to a degree, right. About how they're following Jesus. And it's just like, it's kind of peeling back of like, people lying to themselves and lying to others about how well they're actually following <laughs> Let's take a quick break to talk about something very important. Are you a church leader that deals with the church's finances? Do you find that a good deal of time is taken up dealing with bookkeeping? It's unavoidable. Between giving, giving statements, bookkeeping, payroll, deductions, direct deposit, your time is precious. It seems like too much time can be swallowed up dealing with these issues while ministry opportunities can be missed. It happens to all of us. Or maybe your situation is one where there just needs to be a change. It's a very big deal to have someone who is fully invested and understands the liabilities involved. Did you know that more money is lost through bad bookkeeping than is spent annually on global missions? That's a true story. These reasons are why I want to tell you about Evermore Financial Services. Evermore Financial is owned and operated by ministry partners. They are both church planters. And that matters because they understand the struggle and have come to specialize in handling church finances. Evermore Financial offers customizable solutions for all church accounting needs, whether it's online giving, giving statements, payroll, direct deposit, payroll deductions, housing allowance, or even W-2s. Whatever the needs are, the staff at Evermore understands and are ready to help. If this sounds like your needs too, whether it's today or three months from now, we want to talk. 
Your time is valuable to the kingdom and Evermore Financial is here for you. And did I mention that the owners of Evermore Financial actually do care about the financial success of your ministry? They do. They really do. For your peace of mind, Evermore is invested in current technology to make sure that your convenience, privacy, and security are always a top priority. Through our cloud-based accounting software, you can have immediate and always up-to-date access to any of your accounts from anywhere, anytime. Your peace of mind and accessibility are important to us, so we always want you to have easy access to your books. While we can assist any business that is looking to grow, Evermore Financial Services specializes in nonprofits, particularly church planning and operations. Don't just take our word for it. Check out this testimonial from a local church. Evermore Financial Services continues to be a fantastic partner of ours. Not only are they consummate professionals in all of their interactions, but they provide us with a personal touch in helping us to manage and plan our financial strategy. Their attention to detail is a strong point in their process, and they are incredibly proactive, helping us to anticipate and plan for financial events. Their integrity is impeccable. If you have a church, nonprofit, or a small business, that could benefit from a financial supporter, you would be well served to partner with Evermore Financial Services. If it sounds like this could be a fit for your needs, let me know. If you're thinking that this might be a need down the road, we wanna hear from you, we get it. If you have any questions or you're ready to talk, email me, I am mike at evermorefs.com. That's mike at E-V-E-R-M-O-R-E-F-S.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And in the meantime, check us out at evermorefs.com. Dot com. But um, essentially, people would say, well, yeah, I ate well this week. And I was like, well, I want you to just write it down. And they're like, inevitably, like if they weren't making progress, they were eating garbage. So so I think it, it kind of peels layers for people and actually gives them an opportunity to transform. And I think with the five fivefold gifting, too, it gives people of all those different giftings a place within the church, because in the in the typical church that we have now it's like teacher pastor people that are agitated like apostles or prophets or evangelists uh, find it hard to stay very long um, find it hard to find a place unless the church is a movement as well um, so and and they just pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists don't always understand each other so you need a model where they're like they can have some space <laughs> from each other and work together at the same time. There, there aren't very many truer words than that. I, I being a, a, an apostle type myself, i always find myself restless and can't stand when everything's is the status quo. And, and I also hate to, to uh, give credit to your, your analogy there between recording what you're eating and, be, and being honest. I, I've, I've been on a long uh, fitness journey myself and, it, and, I can tell you when I'm not recording what I eat, I am generally not as honest as I should be. Yep. If I'm not being held accountable for what, what I'm doing, the honesty tends to trickle. And that's really sad coming from a pastor, but that's, that's just real honest. Sure. 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 That's <laughs> so, very true. So what's, what's the next step for salt churches? I mean, you, you seem to be in, in a good place. The churches you have yeah, are I think our churches well. are healthy. We've got great elders and leaders in place in the churches that we do have. Um, we just launched four brand new churches over this past um, two weeks. Wow. <laughs> um, that, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I'm starting to see some traction through that and partially through um, something that was kind of my wife's baby was uh, Saturate. So we um, did worship on the beach. It wasn't worship on the beach. It was really reaching lost people and baptizing them, calling for repentance. Um, we saw upwards of a thousand people baptized um, over the month of July. 
in early August um, because churches weren't meeting. And it was kind of like Gavin Newsom, our governor in California, gave us like a perfect, perfect uh, setup for what we were doing. He banned singing the day before July 4th weekend that we were about to have our first actual gathering at the beach. Um, So we were expecting to have, you know, a night at 200, 300 of our friends, each person we personally knew actually coming. Um, ended up blossoming into this thing where we finish up at Pirate's Cove, um, which is kind of a famous Jesus people movement place here in California with probably 1,800 people turning up, maybe 2,000 people, hundreds baptized, people getting delivered of demons, people getting healed. It just turned into absolute, you know, crazy, chaotic fun. <laughs> and out of that, <laughs> some, some churches have been birthed. Um, so... It's been fun to watch that that take place. Now, do you think some an event like that uh, could have taken place had you not been in that Ephesians 4, um, Acts chapter 2 kind of model where you're, you're actually raising up disciples and churches? Or do you think that's, because uh, I hear a lot of people say, you know, what, when the Spirit decides to move, He will move. Yeah. And I agree with that. But yeah. I don't always think that He's going to move if we're being complacent or, or allow us into His plan yeah. if we're being complacent. Uh, and I think, um, I think a lot of, revivalists would disagree with sitting around and just waiting for the sovereignty of God. Um, there are movers, you know what I mean? And there yeah, are yeah. certain things you can do to engender revival. So it's not like, you know, it's not magic. And I think a lot of people get so super spiritual about revival that it becomes like magic, like, oh, it's a certain place or a well here. Or this is like a lot of times revival is on a person and in a person through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you start to see revival take place because that person is moving um, where the Holy Spirit is moving. And it's, it's, it's action oriented. I mean, you even see it in the book of Acts, like the, <laughs> the apostles didn't go anywhere until there was persecution. And that's when you start to see the real spread of the gospel when persecution comes down on people. Um, and they moved and they went places and they shared the gospel. They didn't just keep hiding and praying. So yeah. And I, to answer your question, no, I don't think so. I think it would be labeled a parachurch thing if you were part of a different kind of church. I don't think my wife would have had the freedom to do that in a regular church because it's intimidating. Because when someone's operating in their gifting and their gatherings bigger than yours, you're just trying to think of how to get their butts in the seats on Sunday and not right. just disciples. So if the funnel is to get people to church on Sundays, and that's what I caution every lead pastor that asks me, can I do both? I'm like, well, if it's just a funnel for Sunday, it's broken already. It's not a church. You have to call it a church or it won't function like one. It'll be a small group or a club of some kind. So Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Now, now, do you have your own, uh, do you have elders for each house church or do you have like a, a flow? Yeah, elders for each house church. Yeah, that's what we typically call them. Leaders or elders um, that are running a church. They go through a ba- pretty basic screening process and um, and some training and we have elders for, for each church. Yeah. Okay. We, in this podcast, we generally take a look at, it's called the church 2060 podcast because we take a look at an issue in the church, kind of look at our perspective on it, what we're learning from it and then where we're going. And then I generally try to, to end with a question, something similar to this. Uh, and this is where I came up with the arbitrary number of 26. <laughs> I like it. It's, the, <laughs> it's the also year. bad at math. <laughs> right. <laughs> So let's say we fast forward to the future and it's the year 2060. Yep. Most of us are going to be done with ministry by that point, or at least moved into some kind of role where we're not boots on the ground anymore. Yeah. You'll be grandfathering something. Yes. If I'm not staring at a wall drooling somewhere. In a <laughs> <home>. <laughs> um, 
But let's say you're, let's say Parker Green is looking back at what he had the chance to do in his ministry. What do you want to have seen when you're, when you're finished and looking back, what do you want this to have turned into? Um, you know, it's funny. I always picture, uh, uh, I love getting into the woods and I always picture myself an aged old man. I think I'll be in 2060. What year is it? 2020. So 40 years, I'll be 74. Um, hopefully sprightly, a sprightly 74. Um, and I always picture myself surrounded by family and extended spiritual family in a huge log cabin somewhere in the woods, people that we've impacted, people that we've loved, people that are um, carrying the torch, so to speak, um, little kids running around all over the place. And that's, I think, I think that's a microcosm of the transformation and culture that I hope to see. Um, because the family is so broken, and I talked to my wife about this the other day, and she's like, you're not actually that passionate about family. You're just passionate about transforming the world. And family is like the vehicle that <laughs> you're, you're going to jump into to do that. If you're, if you're honest about your motives. <laughs> what a way to get called out. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's probably true, but I like things that work. And I think, I think the cellular family is the most broken thing we have. And I think Jesus bringing people into family um, under healthy eldership, under um, biblical leadership, under life-giving, transformative discipleship. We can start to see these kids that we're seeing in, in young millennials and Gen Zers um, that we're sometimes teaching how to cook pasta actually step into life and transform generations of people. So I, I like to see in my head um, generations of people um, that we've impacted um, and everything that comes with that. Um, and honestly, um, I am unashamed about wanting glory when I get in front of Jesus in the end. I want to see as many people saved and give him his full inheritance so I can share, share with it, you know, in, in heaven and in the resurrection, I'd love to see, uh, you know, I want to have a lot of responsibility. <laughs> I want to, I want to be given a lot of things. I want to be the person with the talents that multiplied them and is rewarded for that. Um, and, and I think we shy away from that too much, especially as men. It's like, just do your duty. It's like, yeah, that's part of it. But your duty um, comes with reward. And, and I think we need to, to focus on that reward sometimes. So we're not so miserable as Christians sometimes. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> Usually I end with that question. And this time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with, with a couple more. As, uh, as more and more people start to head down this road of microchurches, if you could just say one thing to, to pastors who are starting to head down this road, what would that be? I know that's an on-the-spot tough question. but Yeah, no, it's great. Um, be a disciple. I would say the first thing, foremost, more than anything else, if you're going to you know, practice a model of church, um, that's not the point. The point is being a disciple. And what we always say in SALT is the point of discipleship is unbroken fellowship with Christ and obedience to Him. That's the aim. So if you're aiming for unbroken fellowship with Christ and obedience to him, then I think this church model can be fruitful for you. If your walk with Christ is garbage, then you might be able to multiply churches, but you might be multiplying garbage. <laughs> so, so I think for, for anybody walking down this road, it's not like a road for, for people that are just crap, crappy at like 
running a regular church. <laughs> it's not, that's not the point. It's like, if you're bad at ministry, this is, it, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to multiply churches in a new model. Um, right. So I would say, I'd say focus on that, focus on being a disciple with you and your family and, and focus on raising your family as disciples. And it will give you a good idea and a good context for what your micro churches should look like. And check us out. We have, I mean, we have a manual you can use. We've been slinging away at this for four years, saltchurches.com. Reach out to us and I'm happy to send a PDF. I mean, me in person is better, but a PDF is helpful. It's a very simple way of starting and multiplying churches that we've been started with a hundred pages and I've winnowed it down to like 27. So. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say now it's 4,000. <laughs> no, we're aiming for a 12 year old to be able to start a church. That's what we want. Perfect. Okay. Now, uh, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I do want to hit you with one more question. From your profile, I see that you are a big fitness, I don't want to say nut, you are a, 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 a hardcore... Uh, connoisseur, you, con- you might say. <laughs> connoisseur. Okay, we'll go with that. Instead of me stumbling over what to say. How, how big of a, of a deal is that to you, um, just personally? And in, when it comes to ministry, how big of a deal is your health to you? Um, I mean, it is a big deal to me because I, I mean, first of all, I love it and it helps me think just moving iron and doing something simple and that I'm competent at gives me space, um, to think creatively. Um, and then, um, it teaches me how to push to pain points, um, that I wouldn't normally push toward, um, it without, without, uh, group of people around me or without it being written down in front of me. Um, but the health aspect is, is just a, a bonus, a bonus for me. I actually just really enjoy it. Um, I, I, I hope to grow old um, and be strong in my old age and give me my mountain type situation. Um, but I think it's good to be prepared for anything. Um, and I think what you do with your body and how you treat your body is really important. And I think a lot of believers and a lot of Christians have adopted a form of Gnosticism where their, their Christianity isn't embodied and their body's not important. Um, but you live and move and have your being in Christ through your body and your body will be resurrected, um, in the end. So God thinks bodies are important. Um, and that's where we live. And I don't, I can't explain it. You can't like open a person up and find who they are inside. Um, (laughs) I don't know how it all works and how the soul and the spirit all meld together to create a personality or consciousness. But, um, um, your body's a big part of that. Um, it's, it's your vehicle in this life. So treat it well and, take care of it like you would, you know, any of the other possessions God has given you to take care of while you're on the earth. So I love it. Thank you so much. Now this has been a real, it's been a treat for me. Probably some of my listeners, it'll be more, it'll be stretching them, but for me, it's been, it's been <laughs> quite a treat. So glad <laughs> you gave us a little bit, uh, saltchurches.com. If someone wants to see what you're up to or find out more information about what you're doing, how can they find you and uh, what you're up to? Sure. Yeah, uh, so saltchurches.com is a great start for microchurch stuff. You can follow me on Instagram at uh, Way of the Violent. Um, and yeah, that's that's the best way to touch base and send a DM, send an email through our, our website and would love to chat. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Parker. This has been wonderful. Thank you, sir. This has been the Church 2060 Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe and you will be notified when new episodes drop. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, I am at Church 2060 Online. And until next time, may hope and peace be with you.